Pastor Xavier Reese and today's Simple Truths About Trials. There are things that will come to our lives that will break us completely, be it by our own doing, be it by the doing of others, be it by the direct hand of God. It doesn't mean that God is the author of evil or that God puts you in a sinful situation. You put yourself, you make decisions, but then God will use every situation to try to bring you to the end of yourself that you might call upon God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Worry, stress, manipulating, all of these things are a byproduct of mistrust, and unfortunately these are all too often found in the lives of those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his study from the book of Genesis, he takes us to one of the most emotional scenes of forgiveness and restoration. It's a story of hope and God's guidance in the midst of mess. Right now, it's time for today's study, The Light at the End of the Tunnel. Genesis chapter 44, the sons of Jacob had returned to Egypt with Benjamin as required by Joseph and achieved their mission to buy grain and to have Simeon released from prison. All has gone better than they expected. And they had been assured of not being at fault in the money that was found in their bags. And then they ended up being taken to Joseph's house to dine with him before they left to Canaan. Man, everything's gone too good. It is in their departure from Egypt back to Canaan that everything goes bad. But it goes bad in order to bring about the good for them by the hand of God. And that often is the case with us. Let me read here and be patient. It's lengthy, but necessary. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food and as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the, uh, the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the words of Joseph has spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men, and when you have overtaken them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from whom which my Lord drinks and which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. And so he overtook them and he spake to them these same words. And they said to them, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servant is, it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words, he with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah, his brother, came to Joseph's house, and was still, he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can 
certainly practice divination. Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are. My Lord slays both we and he also to whom the cup was found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant for you are even as Pharaoh. Uh, My Lord asked the servant saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, um, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother come down with you, you should not see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go. But for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me and said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore... When I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please... Let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father's if the lad is no more with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that will come upon my father. And then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. And so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore Be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve the posterity for you in the earth and to serve your and to save your lives with a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all of the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus saith your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall um, 
be near me and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household, all that you have, come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of your, my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth who speaks to you. So you shall tell my father all of my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. It is in the departure from Egypt back to Canaan that everything goes wrong. I can just see them, you know, they've been nervous all along and they're expecting to get hammered and, and they're going to accuse them, they're going to enslave them, nothing happens, they say the money's yours, they take them to dine, there's a conversation and I can just see them, pack up the mules, let's get out of here, we're out of here and almost a sigh of relief as they're leaving Egypt. They've pulled it off, but God is at work. Everything goes wrong in order to bring about the good for them by the hand of God. And it's revealed to us here in these three movements. Verse 1 through 13, we have the final crisis for the sons of Jacob. Verses 14 to 34, you have the final convincing evidence about the heart of the sons of Jacob. And then the first 15 verses of chapter 45, the final unveiling of Joseph to the sons of Jacob. There is light at the end of the tunnel. If you're in a tunnel, please listen up to God as we move through this, because there is light at the end of the tunnel. The final crisis for the sons of Jacob, verse 1 through 13 of 44. Notice the proclamation for the last test was in view of their departure in verse 1 and 2. The command was given by Joseph to a servant of his house in verse 1 to fill the men's sacks with food as much as they could carry. Each man's money was put back in a sack. And the third and most important from the perspective of Joseph, Joseph's cup, the silver cup, was put in the mouth of the youngest along with his grain and money. The command was carried out by the servant. According to the words of Joseph, Joseph has complete authority. The declaration to recover the cup, notice, came after their departure, verse 3 through 5. The time of departure, in verse 3, they departed in the morning dawn. So first thing, you can say, let's get out of here. Fresh start, we'll beat the heat. We're home free. The men were sent away with their donkeys. And then the decree of Joseph to pursue them came shortly after the departure, verse 4 and 5. I mean, they're not even looking back. They just want to get home. Notice the order was given by Joseph to a steward in verse 4. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet afar off, Joseph said to them, go up and follow the men. The nature of the accusation when they reached them was that of evil ingratitude. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? The identification of their crime was the cup of Joseph. Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. The practice 
of divination baffles some, and they think that Joseph actually did that. Well, we know the story, all of it. You have to look at it. The soothsayers, the diviner, the necromancers, and everybody else could not interpret the dreams. God interpreted the dream through Joseph. Joseph is role-playing here. Joseph is going along with it to test his brothers. There is no way he would partake of this. And so we have to understand it in the context that it's being used. In fact, the practices of, of the cup of divination consists of filling a bowl with wine, liquor, or, or oil, or, or something, and then even sometimes with some silver or gold pieces. And depending on the movement of the water, then supposedly they would pronosticate the future. That is practiced today also, still. The scriptures are very clear, again, seeking Familiar spirits, necromancers, soothsayers, witches, or whatever. Leviticus 19.26, Deuteronomy 18.10 are a couple of places. There are many, many more. The occult is alive today. It is encouraged to be sought. The whole New Age movement is based upon that. Channelers speaking through demons. Some are hucksters, some are real. The root word, by the way, for divination is a derivative for the word for serpent in Genesis 3, 1, 2, and 4. Same word. Serpent, crafty. You remember King Saul was judged by God and his life was taken in 1 Samuel 28, 7. It says because he sought the witch of Intor. God would no longer talk to him and he sought a medium. The book of Acts tells us that many of the People who came to Christ burned their occultic books as evidence of their new birth in Acts 19.19. The obedience of the steward is recorded in verse 6 then. He overtook them. He spoke the very words of Joseph. Now the confrontation of the brothers interrupts their journey, their departure. All of a sudden, they're halted. They're nervous again. The objection to the accusation was immediate. Look at verse 7. They were shocked at being accused, and they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? They stated the absurdity of the accusation. Far be it from that your servants should do such a thing. Now, they knew they were innocent, particular in this accusation. I mean, they knew it. But they were guilty of other things, you understand? Just like you and I, when we get pulled over by a policeman on the freeway and they give us a ticket... And maybe it was unjust. And we say, I can't believe it. Listen, you deserve a ticket every time you get in the car, just like I do. So when we get a ticket, we really are guilty. You know what I mean? It's really irrelevant whether we were guilty that time or not. Verse 8, the rationale of their defense was indicated. Their honesty regarding the money found in their bags is the defense. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. Their lack of need to steal is a conclusion. How then could we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? They had plenty of money. What would be the reason? So they try to rationalize and use logic in this. What would be the reason? Why would we do this? Their proposition in view of their innocence was extremely bold because they know they didn't do it. 
And so when you are positive, you will say, oh, I'll bet you $1,000. You don't have $1,000, but you do it because you're positive that, that you're right. Verse 9, the guilty person would die, they say. With whomever your servants it is found, let him die. The rest of them would be their slaves. The proposition was amended by the servant on verse 10. The guilty one would serve as a slave. He said, now also, let it be according to your words. Let he whom, with whom it is found shall be my slave. The servant knew Benjamin had the cup. He put it there. <laughs> He's in with it, with Joseph. The rest of the innocent would be free, blameless. Now notice the inspection of their bags was marked by personal cooperation in verse 11 through 13 because they feel they have nothing to hide. In verse 11, the urgency of each man was decisive. They did it immediately. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground. And the word speedily means in haste and hurry. Come on, let's get it done. We got, let's get out. Let's get this over and let's, let's, let's get away from this place. They displayed their bags, each open his sack. The unhindered scrutinizing of the bags was orderly by the Egyptian. The order was by age. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And you can see the confidence of the brothers. The first bags open. Find nothing, they go. Second, down to the last one. The surprising final bag turns up the cup in the youngest bag. Oh. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. There is an interesting parallel. If you remember, Laban pursued Jacob for his teraphims, for his little gods that Rachel had stolen. And he searched, stopped them, and searched all the bags and everything else. And he didn't find them because she had put them in a saddle and she sat on them. And when he came to search, he says, pardon your maid, uh, my Lord, because the manner of women's upon me. I cannot rise. God was in that and he told Laban, watch your mouth what you say to Jacob. And it didn't allow him to find the idols. They're worthless. God's in this too. He's behind everything. In this instance, the cup is found because God is going to reconcile them to Joseph before he can protect them. That's an interesting principle. Before God can protect you, you have to be reconciled to him. You got to get right. Verse 13, the unbelievable finding was evident by their horrific agony. The men grieved as if one had died. Then they tore their clothes in verse 13. A sign of mourning and grief by the Jews. This is practiced often. Jacob alone had torn his clothes when Joseph was considered dead. But now all of them are grieving for Benjamin. Their hearts have truly changed. The men turned back being despondent. Each one loaded his donkey, returned to the city. This last half of this verse is marked with dead silence between them. They say nothing. They are just devastated. The thing they feared the most has come upon them. You could hear a pin drop. Falsely accused, planted, they can do nothing. They have no defense. 
There will be times that we may be accused of something falsely. Initially, we also may be shocked. We may even make bold statements. Search my house. Search my car. The potential of injustice in this world is very real. Despite the evidence or the planted evidence sometimes. I'm not saying all the time, but we live in a fallen world. Be it from someone else, be it from authorities, whatever it may be. How will I handle it if God allows it, even if as he did here with Joseph? 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And I hate verses like this, but they're part of the Bible. There are things that will come to our lives that will break us completely, be it by our own doing, be it by the doing of others, be it by the direct hand of God, by his sovereign permission. Job 5, 7 says, Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. (laughs) It's as sure as anything. Life is difficult enough. We don't need to add to it. It has its built-in problems. The Lord will use every situation and circumstance of a person's life to bring them to faith always. That they not live depraved lives. If we went around the auditorium right now, one by one would share how God used the situations of their sinful lifestyle to bring them to the end of themselves. The scenario that brought you to Christ. That a person not live in bitterness. That a person not live with resentment. That they through faith would look to Christ and be saved. So God will use every situation. It doesn't mean that God is the author of evil or that God puts you in a sinful situation, you put yourself, you make decisions, but then God will use every situation to try to bring you to the end of yourself to see the vanity, the emptiness, and the destruction that you might call upon God. Luke 7, 44 through 47, Jesus speaking to Simeon, you know that encounter where he went in and that prostitute came in and washed Jesus' feet and everything. He says, um, do you see this woman? To Simon, I entered your house. You gave me the water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Luke 7, 44 through 47. Simon failed the test. Jesus knew what he was thinking. Jesus knew, but he put him in that position. Let's see if you're going to pass the test, Simon. Here are the brothers again to see if they're going to pass the test. The final crisis for the sons of Jacob was brought about by Joseph in faith that they might pass 
the test. It wasn't in hope of failure. It was in faith that they would pass it. Pastor Xavier Reese, with a picture of grace and mercy from Joseph to his brothers, two things that can apply to help spread the good news of God's forgiveness to those who may have wronged you. And there's more to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up a copy of this message, and the title to ask for is The Light at the End of the Tunnel. It's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is The Light at the End of the Tunnel, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What can happen when you learn to forgive your enemies? Well, plenty, as we'll hear Pastor Xavier Reese explain in an incredible story of hope and forgiveness on the next edition of Simple Truths. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com